would uh, and want to follow along, turn uh, in your copy of uh, God's Word with us, and we're going to look at uh, Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to reference a lot of different places in Jonah, but we're going to look at the first uh, four verses if you want to follow along. Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Let's pray, if you would, with me. Father in heaven, we ask this afternoon that as we gaze into your word, as we, in essence, uh, pull back and look from 20,000 feet and then dive back down and and look into the weeds, into the grass. Pray, Father, that you would show us a big picture and a a personal small picture, that you would show us Christ as well. In Jesus' name, amen. As I I mentioned in my prayer, um, I don't know if you, uh, I don't know how you read Scripture. Uh, If devotionally you read through large sections of Scripture, if you go chapter by chapter, uh, maybe you choose a particular verse to spend some time examining, looking at closely, as, as, as it were, with a magnifying glass. Or if you like the 20,000 uh, uh, feet view and, and you step back and, and you read large sections or, or large passages of Scripture. Um, I love photography, and so I love going different places around the world. And, and uh, one of my favorite places in North Carolina, there's a peak uh, called Hawksbill in, uh, in Pisgah National Forest where you, you climb to the top of this peak, and, and it's, a, it's a fairly flat peak on top, and you can stand and you can turn 360 degrees all the way around and see the valleys that spread out below you. You can see down into the uh, Linville Gorge, and you can see off uh, far away into Boone. Um, so I love to go up there and, and, and take pictures of, of vast scenery, large tracts of forest. Um, while I was up there one time with my kids, uh, we were we were traveling one of the the trails, and and I got very distracted by uh, just some of the uh, the foliage around, some of the flowers that were there, but particularly the trees that were there. And so we spent a lot of time just kind of sitting in front of this one old stump that was covered with moss, creatures kind of crawling in and out of it. And we we spent about an hour just kind of gazing into this stump, uh, just in wonder of. Uh, looking at the rings that were there represented just in wonder of the life that was buried deep in this stump that that probably thousands of hikers would pass by and never get a chance to see just this microcosm of God's creation. And so one moment we were standing back and and, and in awe of God's creation, uh, being able to see miles and miles into the distance. And the next moment we were on our hands and knees kind of gazing into this small world that was this tree stump. Um, and I think there's value, there's great value in doing both with God's Word. To step back and take a broad, big picture view of what is God's message, what is God's per- purpose in Scripture, and then at other times to, to sort of kneel down before it and take one verse and chew on it and meditate on it. Uh, both have great value, and I want to do a little bit of both uh, this afternoon. 
Um, you're probably very familiar with the book of Jonah. It's one of my favorite. I collect commentaries and books on Jonah. Um, and, and I love to, to see what a variety of authors are saying. It's such a short book, four chapters, so it's one that you can digest quickly and easily. Um, but it seems to be one that volumes are written on. The life of Jonah. What does it mean? Who's he talking to? Um, I think also the thing that I love about the book of Jonah, it, it really is... Um, on, on a small scale, uh, the message of Scripture. If someone were to ask you this afternoon, what is the message of Scripture? Uh, if you had to boil it down to one word, what is God doing in the Scriptures? And I heard one writer one time say it simply comes down to reconciliation, that God is, is choosing for himself a people to draw to reconcile, to show his, his lavish love, to pour it out into their lives. And I think that we see um, a, a bit of that, a good bit of that in the book of Jonah. Um, in studying for uh, certain sermons, it's always a challenge to know how do you prepare, how do you break it down, how do you organize an outline? You know, uh, is it going to be verse by verse? Is it going to be thematical? Is it going to be topical? Uh, some like to always go back to the idea of creation, fall, and redemption. And I think that in the book of Jonah, you see those three themes wonderfully woven together. Um, and so let's look at a little bit of that today. Um, creation, fall, and redemption. This idea that God is, uh, is reconciling to himself a people. Uh, verses 1 and 2, the, and now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Uh, we see, in essence, this, this creation of, of a servant, this creation of a prophet. God calls Jonah uh, to go and do. Uh, we see this idea of, of creation all over, certainly in the book of Genesis, God creating for himself Adam and Eve to love, to, to, to lavishly love, that they would be the first parents uh, of, of many. Um, and so we see this creation and call in Adam and Eve. He, he creates them for intimacy, to walk with them in the garden, to teach and love them. But he calls them to a task. He calls them to be his people. He calls them to, to, to manage and care for the garden. Uh, but he calls them to obedience. So in creating them, he gives them this wonderful privilege of knowing him, but he also calls them uh, to, at, to, to tasks. And so in, in the book of Jonah, we see this created for a purpose. God uh, creates Noah, uh, excuse me, Jonah for the purpose uh, of, of the task, to go to Nineveh. Uh, he calls him to, to be the prophet, uh, not to the Jews, but to these Gentiles, who have risen up against God in rebellion. Um, he's called, Jonah is, to obedience and to service. He's called to be the mouthpiece, as it were, of God to the Ninevites. Um, and so in verse 2, we see this commission, these very familiar words, basically, in essence, to go and to preach. He tells him to go to Nineveh and, and in essence, preach against it, to tell them that, that their evil, their wickedness, has, has risen uh, in essence, to, to God's sight, he sees them. And so Jonah is given this, this task, this difficult task, to go and to cry out against them. And, and in a sense, through Matthew 28, we're called to the same thing. We're to go and to preach. We're to go and to make disciples. Uh, part of making disciples is to point out sin. There is no need for a Savior 
uh, unless there's sin. And so our call is to go into the world and make disciples, uh, in essence, to preach against the sin of the world, but also to, to tell them about the good news of the gospel, that their sins can be forgiven. And so we see this, this Matthew 28 great commission, in essence, being given to, to Jonah here. Go and preach. And if you know the book of Jonah, you know that the response of the Ninevites is repentance and faith. And so Jonah is, is called and he's created for a purpose. Nineveh, if you know anything about this city, uh, located near present-day uh, present uh, Mosul, Iraq. Again, Iraq very much back in the news. So we see maps all the time on the news of where these cities are. Um, but about 5,000 miles from where Jonah was when he received, uh, excuse me, 500 miles from where Jonah was when he received the call. To us, 500 miles is, is you know, is a, is a day trip, you know, uh, uh, quite a few hours in the car. We would go and, and we, would, we would do that. But for Jonah, this was a massive undertaking. God calls him to leave his home, leave his people, and to go, in essence, and deliver this message to the, to the Ninevites. 500 miles away. Nineveh was this great city, uh, known for its evil, but also for its size. A three days journey around, we find out later in, in the book of Jonah. Three days, perhaps all the way across, or some wonder if it's three days all the way around. However you were to measure it, three days journey uh, indicates a, a very large city, a, a large place. Uh, about 120,000 uh, men and then women and children as well. So it could be anywhere between a quarter and, and half a million people that Jonah was to go and deliver this message to. A city of great power and influence. This is not just a no-name town on the edge of society or civilization. This was the power at the time. This was a place that was uh, up and coming, a place of influence, a dangerous place. We're told that... that it was a greatly wicked place. Elsewhere it says that they didn't know their left from their right, meaning that they were lost in blindness to sin. And so Jonah is given this call, he's given this task to go to this place. He was to preach against it. He wasn't given necessarily a, a good message. He was told to go and to tell them how wicked they were. Imagine going into uh, an inner city or imagine going into a town and you're to walk around telling people how bad they are. You're probably not going to be well received. You're probably not going to receive the key to the city or a lot of invitations to dinner. But if you go and you begin to poke sticks into people's lives telling them how wicked they are, how bad they are, typically your response is, is not going to be a good one. And so Jonah did not want to go. Perhaps it was the distance, perhaps it was leaving uh, loved ones. But we know as the book begins to uh, unwind, we see a picture of, of deep um, racial hatred. We see a Jonah who did not want to go. And it wasn't just because he hated the people, but it was because he knew his God. He suspected and wondered and knew deep in his heart that his God is a compassionate and merciful God. That if he goes, he wondered, is my God really going to spare them? Because Jonah and the Israelites had come to hate uh, the Ninevites. And so Jonah has this deep-seated racial bias or prejudice against the Ninevites. 
Uh, it comes from knowing who they are, their, their savagery, their barbarism in, in military conquests. Um, and the Israelites would, would be somewhat continuously uh, uh, having Babylon and Nineveh and Assyria against them. So there was real reason for Jonah to not want to go. But it does tell us here that mainly he didn't want to go because he feared what his God would do. Not that he would bring judgment, but that he would bring mercy. And so we see a man here who's called, he's commissioned uh, to go into this world. We see shadows here. One thing I love about the book of Jonah is we see shadows of Jesus Christ. We see shadows of the gospel. We see shadows of the New Testament Uh, being reflected here. And so we see the shadow of of the call and commission of Jesus that he enters this world. He comes into the world to deliver, in one sense, a a message of of condemnation, but so much more a message of mercy and grace through his death and resurrection. He must first condemn sin, but then he bore the weight of that sin on himself. And so we see these parallels that God calls Jonah to go. God tells the son to go into the world. So we see here being created a prophet, and he's given a call. And so in this we see creation. Uh, For what were you created for? I think one of the ways that we we answer that question is what what brings you joy, real joy? When you do it, do you genuinely sense God's pleasure when you're active in that? Eric Little in the movie uh, Chariots of Fire, in talking to his sister who's trying to plead with him to go on the missions field. Um, but he says, I have to run. I have one more race I need to do. I need to run in the Olympics. She says, but you were created to be a missionary. And he says, I was also created to run. He says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. What do you do that when you do it, you feel God's pleasure? We all have callings. We all have things that we do. Maybe you don't enjoy your job. Maybe there's aspects of this life that are difficult and hard. But we weren't just created for the things that that bring us joy. We were also created to to live and to exist, to have families and loved ones and difficult things that the Lord brings into our lives. So our calling right now may not be something enjoyable, may not be something fun. Perhaps you have a difficult marriage And you're being called today to be faithful to that spouse, to be patient and long-suffering. Perhaps you have a difficult job working under a boss that is demanding and never um, compassionate, never praising you. And so your call today is to faithfully serve that boss. Maybe you have a ministry that you're involved in and it's it's taxing and it's trying and it seems to be producing no fruit and yet that is your call today. Maybe you're called to share the gospel with someone that you don't want to go to. Maybe there's a a person in your neighborhood. Uh, Maybe you do struggle deeply inside with with racial bias and prejudice. Maybe you struggle to even want to share the gospel and yet your call today is to share the gospel. And so Jonah was called to go and do something that he didn't want to do. Is there something today that the Lord is calling you in faithfulness and obedience to go and to do? So God created. He creates for himself a prophet. He creates for himself someone to go. We see in verse 3, 
these words, but Jonah. But Jonah did not want to go. God tells him to go. Verse 3 says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So in essence, in this big picture, looking at scripture, we see creation and fall and we see redemption. But here we see the fall. We see in the book of Genesis where God created Adam and Eve for intimacy, for closeness, for obedience. And we see them turn away from that. In essence, but Adam and Eve turned from the Lord. They fled from the presence of the Lord. They, they ran to the tree and they ate that which they shouldn't have eaten. And so while Adam and Eve were created for intimacy, they, they fled from the presence of the Lord. And we see a picture of that here in Jonah when it says, But Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. He didn't want to obey. He didn't want to go. Jonah flees to, to Joppa. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa. And he found a ship, and he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Again, Joppa is this modern-day city of Haifa, uh, a city not too far from Tel Aviv. And, and this, is, this is in the polar opposite direction of where God told him to go. If Israel is here on the edge of the Mediterranean, then uh, for you would be this way would be Nineveh. Uh, but Joppa was south, and then he was seeking to go as far away from, uh, from Israel, as far away from uh, Nineveh as he possibly could get. So he, he, he seeks to, to run from the Lord. He goes down from where he is. Interesting in Scripture that you hear this, this metaphor often of up and down. God is up. Satan is down. Uh, it says that he, he went down to Joppa. Jonah probably would not have uh, described his journey as a downward journey. He would have described probably his, his journey as one of empowerment, of, of, of taking control of his life. I don't want to do what you want me to do, Lord, so I'm going to take control back and I'm going to go my own direction. But this motif, this idea of going down, going down, going down, continues to play out in the book of Jonah. Um, Verse 3, he went down to Joppa. Verse 5, he went down into the ship to sleep. In chapter 2, once he's been thrown overboard and he begins to sink down, it uses these phrases like, out of the belly of Sheol, cast me into the depths, the deep surrounds me, the roots of the mountain brought my life from the pit. And you see this motif of, of just this constant, continuous spiraling down away from the Lord. As Jonah seeks to to take control of his life, to, to flee from the Lord, we see not a, an upward progression, a bettering of his life, but we see this downward spiral away from God, away from God's blessings. Jonah would have described this as improving his life. I think just as we do when we, when we seek to run towards something that we want. We think that when we run towards sin, when we run to something that is going to make us comfortable and give us pleasure, we think that that's going to fulfill us. That's going to be what we need. We think that life's going to get better if I can just have that. But I think we all have experienced at different times that, that downward spiral of sin that takes us further and further and away from the Lord. Verse 3 says that he paid the fare before he got onto the ship. Dr. Barnhouse, who was at uh, 10th Presbyterian, he said this, uh, When you run away from the Lord, uh, you never get where you're going, and you always pay the fare. 
When you run away from the Lord, you never get where you're going, and you always pay the fare. Reminds me of the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, where the prodigal son had wealth, and he had intimacy, and he had connection with the Father. He had love, everything that he could ask for, and yet it wasn't enough. He wanted independence. He wanted what he thought would be freedom. So he demands from his father his inheritance, and he goes away. So you begin to see in the story of the prodigal son, not this, this, this escalator to, to joy and happiness, but you see this, this spiraling staircase downward towards sin and defeat and dejection. At one point, so bad is it that he cries out, he wants to even taste or eat what the pigs are eating out of their trough. This, this place that he came from of, of, of grandeur and love of the Father, and, and he had everything that he could want there. And... And then he finds himself kneeling over the edge of this trough, longing to eat what the pigs leave behind. So we see this picture with Jonah as well. He has intimacy with God. He has a calling. He's created for a purpose. And yet we see this fall as he begins to run away from the Lord. We see this downward spiral as he goes down to Joppa, down into the belly of the ship. And then he's cast overboard and he's, he sinks to the bottom of the ocean. And we see the, the effects of sin on his life. Barnard Pels, uh, continues to say, and he says, When you go the Lord's way, you always wear, get where you're going, and he pays the fare. Sin never takes us to where we think it's going to take us. Never gives us what we want, and we always end up paying the price. But through Christ Jesus we end up getting where we, not necessarily where we think we need to go, but where we need to be. We get to go where, where we really need to be, and he pays the fare. What a wonderful picture we have there through Christ Jesus. Psalm 139 says, Where can I go from your spirits? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Jonah quickly found that there was nowhere that he could go that God could not reach him. There was no place far enough that God could not see. What is your ship today? I think I've asked this question before. We all have our ships of escape, our vehicles that we try and run from the Lord with. Jonah's was a ship bound uh, for, for Tarshish, away from where the Lord told him to go, away from the calling on his life. How are you running today from the Lord's calling in your life? Perhaps you do have a difficult marriage and your mind quickly wanders to fantasizing about someone else at work or, or on television. Perhaps uh, you flee from being obedient to God's calling to work faithfully for that boss by, in little ways, undermining that person's authority, in little ways, giving half-hearted effort in your job. What is your ship of escape today? Is it television? Is it sleep? Is it alcohol? Is it gossip? Is it a relationship? We all have our ways that we seek to flee from God's calling on our lives. And interestingly here, we see that Jonah went into the belly of this ship it's a motif throughout the book of, of, of Jonah, going into the belly of something. In this, he goes to the belly of the ship. And we see a, 
an ancestor of his who will one day go into the belly of a ship to lie down to sleep. Mark chapter 4 reminds us that just as Jonah went and slept, so too does Jesus go and, and sleeps in the midst of a storm. They're both in, in a boat, and they're, they're both are surrounded by people who are panic-stricken. In both cases, the one who slept in the belly of the ship was responsible for the storm, but in different ways. Jonah was responsible for the storm that God had hurled at the ship to draw him back. And, and the, the sailors begin to question him, uh, Who is your God? What have you done? How have you offended this God? Jesus was responsible for the storm that came upon the ship that he lay in, in essence, to, to test and to grow the faith of the disciples. As the creator of, of the storms, Christ is just as responsible for that storm as Jonah is for the storm of his own creation. We, so we see these wonderful parallels throughout the book of Jonah between Christ and himself, between creation and fall and redemption. Wonderfully, we see a God, though, who pursues. God doesn't destroy Jonah. God doesn't send the storm to, to wipe him out or annihilate him. He sends the storm as an act of mercy and as an act of grace to draw Jonah back into obedience and into faithfulness. We see in the garden in Genesis 3.8 that after Adam and Eve had sinned, we see a God who pursues to reconcile, to redeem. He says, uh, it says, and they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. This is right after they had sinned. God doesn't annihilate them doesn't wipe them out, doesn't kill them on the spot. He pursues them, he questions them, and then he covers them with the skin of an animal that is shed, that blood is shed so that they might be covered. So we see here that, that in verse 4 it says, Then the Lord, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Imagine a, a pitcher winding up on, on the plate to throw a fastball. You see God almost creating and crafting the storm and hurling it down at Jonah again out of love. He sovereignly intervenes to draw his child back. He doesn't allow Jonah to go where he wants to go. But isn't this a wonderful thing that, that in God's compassion and mercy, he doesn't give Jonah what he wants. He doesn't give Jonah what he wants. He, he disciplines him and draws him back the direction that God has him to go. Tarshish, again, is the opposite direction of Nineveh. It's on the far side of the Mediterranean, through the Straits of Gibraltar, on the other side of Spain. To a, to a seafaring people at that time, to leave the Straits of Gibraltar, to go to the other side of Spain would have been like falling off the edge of the world. If you've ever seen old maps, you see that out past on the edges, uh, they used to... They used to uh, draw pictures of dragons and sea monsters and serpents because they just didn't know what was out there. Many who went out there did not return. And so for Jonah to go that direction meant that he was willing to commit suicide in essence instead of going the direction that God told him to go. And so God wonderfully hurls the storm to draw him back. God's means of mercy is discipline not allowing us to go the direction we want to go, not allowing us to get to, get to where we want to go. Even the, the prodigal son at some point is, is aroused from his sin, aroused in his need, and he returns to the father. 
Is the Lord using discipline today in your life in some large or small way? Not as, not as punishment. Punishment falls on Christ. Punishment for your sin is, is paid for on the cross. But a loving father disciplines his child to woo that child back, to correct, to remind that child that you've gone a way that is not appropriate. I draw you back. Taking the hand of a child before you cross the street is an act of mercy. When that child seeks to dart out into traffic, you squeeze the hand and you pull that child back. Not because you hate the child, but because you love the child. That moment of pain and tension, that yanking of the arm, saves the child's life. So we see that here with Jonah. God's means of mercy is is discipline. We see him trying to escape, trying to run away. And yet God pursues. He never allows Jonah even to reach Tarshish. Mercy oftentimes is not getting what we want. There was a song that came out years ago, a country song. Uh, Some of the, uh, I've got it here somewhere. I'm trying to remember the exact, uh, some of the greatest uh, um, answers to, forget the exact line. The, the, title, the title of the song is called Unanswered Prayers. One of God's greatest gifts that he gives us is, is unanswered prayers. And we know that no prayers go unanswered. Uh, but the point of this was uh, that this man wanted a variety of different women as he was growing up. And the answer was always no, no, no. And then he met his wife. And he looks back now at those other relationships and he sees those were unanswered prayers when he cried out, God, I want this woman. I want this relationship. I want to marry her. And God each time said no. No, until he met his current bride. And he says some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. A better, more theological way to say is some of God's greatest gifts are are the answer no to prayers. God didn't allow Jonah to get to his destination. He drew him back. Mercy sometimes is not getting what we want. Jonah certainly deserved uh, death for his disobedience, as we do when we sin And yet God in his mercy sent Jesus Christ to bear the weight of our sin and the consequences for our sin. As a loving father, he draws us to himself now. And there are times where he doesn't allow us to to grab hold of what we want. He tells us no, that we might have something better. So wonderfully in the book of Jonah, and I encourage you to go back through it tonight and read through it, all four chapters, and look for this theme, this creation, fall, redemption theme. Because in this, we see God redeeming Jonah. Because later in, in, in this book, we see Jonah uh, in obedience. In chapter 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go. And wonderfully, in verse 3 of chapter 3, it says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. We see this reconciliation, this, this drawing back in that God does with, with, with Jonah. He takes him through the ringer. He takes him through the belly of a, of, of a fish. But Jonah returns in obedience. And we see wonderfully this picture of the gospel going forth into the Gentile world. Jonah crying out against them and their sin, and they repent. And they turn. So this book is filled with creation as God creates a prophet to serve him. He gives him a call to go. We see the fall as Jonah runs away from the Lord, wanting nothing to do with God's call. And then wonderfully, we see this redemption where God 
draws him back into obedience. We see this picture of resurrection uh, from the belly of this fish. So in, in the scripture here in Jonah, we see creation, fall, redemption, but we also see the gospel. We see Christ Jesus here. And it takes us into the New Testament where we see the ultimate act of redemption as God purchases for himself a people, a rebellious people, a people that he created for a purpose. And he placed a call in their lives to be obedient, to be his children. We see that people then rebels, but we see through Jesus Christ, he redeems them. He buys them back. And now he's returning us to a place of obedience, and one day we'll be with him forever. So I hope that as you read to the book of Jonah, I hope that you'll see it a little bit differently. As we've taken this sort of microscopic view of Scripture in this one place for these four chapters, but also the big, grand picture, the forest, the 20,000-foot-in-the-air view of, of God's redemptive plan. The scripture can be boiled down to the one word, reconciliation, redemption. And we see that wonderfully here this afternoon. Let's pray. Father, we love your word because it's so vast and it's so detailed. And, and sometimes we can get mired in the individual verses, what they mean, how they apply, that we lose sight of the big picture, that you're a loving God who's redeeming a people, drawing and calling a people to be yours so we can miss the big picture of Scripture. But other times, Father, we can read it so quickly, we can read through chapters with such speed that we lose the detail, we lose the, the wonderful instances of your grace and mercy and compassion from page to page. Father, I pray today that as we've done both, the big picture and the small picture, I pray that, that both leave us in awe of your love for us through Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.